Welcome to Spiritual Gold, the teaching ministry of Dr. Richard L. Strauss. I'm Dr. Mark Strauss, and these podcasts represent the faithful exposition of God's Word by my father through his 21-year ministry at Emmanuel Faith Community Church. Our prayer is that through these messages, you would be encouraged and equipped in your walk with the Lord. There are two prayers recorded in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The first one was in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. It was basically a prayer for enlightenment, a prayer for revelation. The Apostle Paul wanted the Ephesian Christians to know something by revelation and reflection on these truths. He wanted them to know beyond all doubt what is the hope of Christ's calling. That hope being his coming for them, the gladness of his presence. He wanted them to know the glory of Christ's inheritance in the saints, that they were the inheritance of the Lord Jesus, the glory of his possession. And he wanted them to know the greatness of his power, the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. A prayer for enlightenment and revelation. When we reach chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we find the second prayer recorded. And rather than a prayer for enlightenment, this is a prayer for experience. More than a prayer for revelation, this is a prayer for realization. In their daily walk, the truths of what they are. He wants them to know not so much by reflection, but to know by participation. He wants them to live what they know in their minds and what they are in their position. A prayer for experience. In the first prayer, he prays that we may know what we are. In the second prayer, he wants us to be what we know. In the first prayer, he wants us to have a light on certain issues. In the second prayer, he wants us to live a life that demonstrates the light that we have on these issues. But I find it interesting that in both prayers, the primary requests that Paul makes are for spiritual needs rather than for physical and material needs. Now, I find that extremely interesting. If we were to catalog our prayer requests, most of our requests would probably fall into the category of physical and material needs. We pray for those things for ourselves and we pray for them for others. It's not wrong to pray for physical and material needs. God offers to meet those needs and he invites us to come into his presence and to claim those answers to prayer. But I think God would like us to be asking him more in the area of our spiritual needs than our physical needs. Maybe need to put those a little higher on our priority list when it comes to things we pray for. Let's look at this prayer and see what we learn from it. In verses 14 and 15, we have the prelude to the prayer. In verses 16 through 19, we have the petitions of the prayer. And in verses 20 and 21, we have the power that makes the answer to that prayer possible. First of all, the prelude in verses 14 and 15. Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He says, I'm about to pray. And here's why I'm going to pray. For this cause. What cause is that, Paul? 
If you remember when we started chapter 3, we decided that Paul had digressed for a few moments to explain to us his particular and unique relationship to Gentiles, his ministry to Gentiles. He began chapter 3 by saying, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, and then he moves into that relationship to the Gentiles. He seems to digress. But when we get down to verse 14, he continues what he started in verse 1. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father. So we have to ask ourselves, what cause is that? Why is Paul praying? People pray for different reasons. The Pharisees prayed to be seen of men. It was pride that caused them to pray. Other people pray for greed, out of greed. They want more of this world's goods and they ask God to give them material things. There are other reasons people pray. Some just pray out of habit. It's a thing to do. and They don't even think about the words that they're saying. They just pray out of habit. Paul prayed for a specific reason. And in order to understand that reason, we have to look back at chapter 2. He'd just been talking about Jew and Gentile in one body. As stones in God's building. That are being built up for a habitation of God through the Spirit. We're all part of the body of Christ and the building of God, Paul says. That's our position in Jesus Christ. And because you're in the body and in the building, I want to ask God to do something for you. Because you're part of God's program, I want to make this request on your behalf. He's praying for the blessing of the body. He wants us to realize in our experience what we are in our position so that we can enjoy the fullness of God's blessing in our lives. That's why he's praying for this cause. He bows his knees under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he prays. Why he prays is for the blessing of the body. How he prays is bowing his knee. Now, you don't have to get on your knees to pray. You can find people praying in almost every conceivable position in Scripture. But bowing the knee is a symbol of reverence and submission to the will of God. And sometimes I think it might be a good thing if we got down on our knees to pray. I don't always pray on my knees, even in my personal devotional life, but sometimes I feel that burden that gets me down before God, an attitude of submission to His will in order to pour out my request to Him. Really, it's the attitude more important than the physical position. We can bow our hearts to Him to him we can bow our wills to him but bow we must when we come into his presence to pray we must pray with an attitude of submissiveness to his will we're making our requests we're asking for things we believe he wants to do but even our requests are bathed in an attitude of submissiveness god not my will but yours be done he bows his knee to the father of our lord jesus christ of whom, he says in verse 15, the whole family of heaven and earth is named. That Father of the Lord Jesus, our God, is the namer of every member of the human family. He is the one after whom all fatherhood takes its name, is what the Greek text literally says. We all, in our regular earthly families, normally take the name of our Father. He provides the family name. Every family on earth is named for the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean every person on earth is a child of God. But there is a sense in which the, the fatherhood of God is true. God is the creator of all men. 
God gives all men life, and God in that sense is a father to all. Not all submit to his fatherhood. Not all will be with him forever as his children because they've refused him and rejected him. But in a real sense, it is God who gives them their name and their life and their dignity as human beings, who creates them after his own image, who gives them life. Every family or grouping on earth owes their existence and name. He is the one of whom the whole family or fatherhood in heaven and earth is named. That's the prelude to the prayer. Let's move secondly to the petitions themselves. Paul prays for three things in this prayer. And each thing is introduced by the word that. There are three of these words in the Greek text. There are actually four that's in the English translation, at least in the King James Version. You see one in verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might in his inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. The first word in verse 17 is not the same word, that. This is a word that indicates purpose rather than content of the prayer. That's all part of one request. Beginning in verse 16, going through the middle of verse 17. The second request begins in the middle of verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That's request number two. Request number three begins in the middle of verse 19, that you, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Three requests. The first one is a request for spiritual strength. The second one is a request for spiritual stability. And the third one is a request for spiritual satisfaction. Let's go through them. I bow my knee to the Father, and here is essentially what I'm asking God to do for you. First of all, spiritual strength. That he would grant unto you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. My, if there's anything we need to live our Christian lives, it's spiritual strength in the inner man. I look at my own life and what I see is weaknesses, liabilities, limitations. I realize how prone I am to spiritual defeat. How weak I am to endure and to carry on when things get difficult. How easy it is for me to become discouraged and depressed and distressed. We don't see strength when we look in our inner man. We see weakness. And the strength is not to be found by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps or gritting our teeth and increasing our determination level. It comes by depending upon the Spirit of God. He's the one who can strengthen us according to the riches of His glory by His Spirit in our inner man. We're not talking now about physical strength. We need that too. But God can give us that. What we basically need is strength in the inner man. Where we are prone to discouragement and despair and spiritual defeat. Where the temptations come and the proneness to submit to those temptations. So often we, we look at the responsibilities God has given us and the obstacles Satan has placed before us and we say it's too hard. I just can't do it. No, I don't want to do it, Lord. I want to quit. We talked about that. Quite regular for two Sunday mornings in the doctrine of endurance in the New Testament and explored how we can keep on keeping on. But basically it comes by God giving us strength in our inner man by His Spirit. And the standard which He uses to pour out that strength is according to the riches of His glory. 
not out of the riches of his glory, but according to. And that's a, that makes a difference. That's important. If I were to come to a very wealthy man and say, we have some needs here at Emmanuel Faith Community Church. Naturally, he's wealthy and he seems to have an interest in our church and I expect him to do something significant. He pulls out his wallet and hands me a $5 bill. He would be giving out of his riches. But if he were to take his checkbook out and sign his name to it and say, whatever your needs are, I'm prepared to meet those needs. You fill in the amount. Then he would be giving according to his riches. That's the difference. One is out of, one is according to. And God ministers to our needs for spiritual strength in our inner person according to the riches of his glory. Not just out of those riches. And he can strengthen us by his spirit in that inner person. So that we can be strong to resist temptation. We can be strong to carry on. Even when it gets difficult. And even when our ministry for Jesus Christ is discouraging and distressing. And that's what Paul prays for. And if you want to put something on your prayer list to pray for me, I would very much appreciate this request right here in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. Would you pray that I would be strengthened with all might in the inner man by His Spirit according to His riches of glory? I need that. And I'm confident you need it. And we need to be praying that for each other. Do you want to know something to add to your prayer list? Pray that we may be strengthened in our inner person by God's Spirit. It's a good thing to pray for. Spiritual strength. But notice why Paul... Well, not notice, it's not really there. Maybe I should ask the question, why, why must Paul pray for that? I mean, doesn't God automatically minister strength to us in our weaknesses? Why do we have to ask God to do that? Well, I think... Because we don't all really sense our need for it and therefore depend upon God to receive it and therefore enjoy it. Not every believer is experiencing this kind of strength in his inner man. Many of us are trying to do it ourselves and we're depending upon our own innate abilities. Depends on our communion with him, you see, and our willingness to be conscious of his presence and dependent on his power, living in fellowship with him and communion with him. Acknowledging our need, confessing our sin. It's all part of it. And that's why we need to claim it from God. It's like turning on a light bulb. The power's there. It goes to the, to the switch, but it stops there. There's something blocking the flow of that power. We've got to turn the switch on. And there are some switches in the Christian life. And many of us are not enjoying God's strength, for one thing, because there's a lack of faith, a lack of belief that we really can have it. For another thing, because there's unconfessed sin in our lives. For another thing, because we've never acknowledged our need for that strength. That's all part of it. So it all becomes a part of our prayer for ourselves and for each other. That we might acknowledge the need and then depend upon Him for that strength. So many of us aren't doing it. We're stones in the building, but we're weak stones. We're weakening the entire structure. God wants us to look to Him so that we may be strong in our inner person. And that's why Paul's praying. For this cause I bow my knees to the Father, that you may be strengthened with all might according to the riches of His glory in the inner person by His Spirit. Will you notice the result of that? 
Verse 17, it is to the end that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, Paul is not praying that these people would become Christians, that Christ will enter your heart and live there. They were already believers. He's not praying that the Spirit of God would enter their lives. He's already there. He dwells, indwells every believer. But that word dwell has the idea of settling down and being at home. And that is what Paul is praying for. When we enjoy Christ's strength in our inner person so that we can overcome sin, resist temptation, carry on when the obstacles are there and the going gets tough, when we can do that, then Christ is at home in our lives. Otherwise, in many cases, he isn't. I'm afraid the Lord Jesus is a little ease, a little ill at ease in the lives of some believers because he's living with a lot of sin. I mean, there's sin in that inner person. And that's where he dwells, in the inner person, in the spirit. The things that aren't right with him there, areas of our lives we've never really yielded to his control, little parts of our lives that we hold back from him. And he's really not at home in our lives. And we're not very comfortable in some cases about him being in our lives. We're a little guilt-ridden because he's there and has to put up with his stench and filth that goes on in the lives of some believers. I'm sure many of you, if not most of you, have read the little booklet by Robert Boyd Munger called My Heart, Christ's Home. It's a powerful little challenge to believers. The heart is likened to a house where Jesus is invited to dwell. But in many cases, he's relegated to an upstairs bedroom where the door is locked, and that's where he has to stay. We say, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't want you down here in the reading room tonight because you probably wouldn't be interested in the things I'm reading. In fact, they may be a little embarrassing to you. Lord, I'd like you to stay here in this bedroom tonight. I'm going out, and you probably wouldn't want to go where I'm going, Lord, so uh, you just kind of stay there. And on it goes. We relegate him to this little part of our lives and refuse to give him a key to every room in the house of our hearts. And sometimes we get all the way down to that last little bastion of sin we don't want to get rid of or let go of, that little hall closet. We've given him a key to every other room, but there's that little closet where there's just a few things we want to keep for ourselves. Let him settle down and be at home. To be at home in our, in our heart home, we've got to let him take charge of the entire house. Free reign of the house. Go anywhere he wants, do anything he wants, rearrange any of the furniture, throw away anything he wants to throw away. Let him have control. That's what Paul's praying for. And that comes only when we have strength in our inner person. And that comes in answer to prayer. That Christ may settle down and be at home in your hearts. And we lay hold of that by faith. That's petition number one for spiritual strength. Will you look please at petition number two, beginning in the middle of verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. That's a prayer for spiritual stability. That you being rooted and grounded. They are words that picture stability. Rooted is an agricultural word. It has to do with the roots of a tree going down deep and tapping the moisture so that life-giving water can be brought up into the trunk and the limbs and the leaves and the fruit of the tree. Rooted, grounded is an architectural word. It has to do with the foundation of a building going down to bedrock so that the lower it goes and the stronger it is, the higher we can build with, with stability and strength. Rooted and grounded 
words of stability. We need stability in our Christian lives. Look where that stability is to be found, dear Christian friends. Rooted and grounded in love. That's what we need. We need to understand. And I'm of the opinion that many of us as believers really don't understand it. We demonstrate the fact that we don't understand it because we're so unloving to others. We're uh, so touchy with others. We're so defensive toward others. Because we're afraid of, of our own image before them. We're so insecure and unloved, we must become angry and defensive and touchy in our relationships with other people. If we really understood how much Christ loved us, we'd feel secure in that love and we wouldn't have to react that way to other people. We need to know the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is praying for us. That we would be rooted and grounded in love. That we may be able to comprehend, understand, grasp this truth. With all the rest of the saints. This isn't for any one individual. This is for all of us folks. That we may be able to comprehend with all saints. What is the breadth and length and depth and height. Of the love of Jesus Christ. The four dimensions of Christ's love. The extent of it. That's its width. It's wide enough to include Jew and Gentile. That's described for us in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 22. The duration of it. It's long. It reaches into eternity past according to chapter 1 and verse 4. For we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the earth. It reaches into eternity future according to chapter 2 and verse 7. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. And then there's the condescension of it, the depth. It reaches to the very depth of sin according to chapter 2 verses one to three, he made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. And then there's the transcendence of it, the height. It lifts us to the very heavenlies. Chapter 2 and verse 6, hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The length, or the width, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of Jesus Christ. Paul prays that we may understand that. And when we get right down to it, all those dimensions of the, of the love of Christ are revealed in the cross. In fact, it's the very shape of the cross. The height, the depth, the width, and the length. The dimensions of the cross. And that's where the love of Christ was demonstrated to a greater degree than probably any other single way or any other single place. The hymn writer said, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? That's where the love of Jesus Christ was demonstrated. At the cross. That you may understand with all saints. The breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ. Which passes knowledge. That's an enigma. That's a contradiction of terms. It passes knowledge and yet we can understand it. We can grasp it. And that word know is a different word than the word know. Back in the first prayer of chapter 1. That was to know by reflection and revelation. This is to know by experience and relationship. We can know the love of Jesus Christ in our daily walk with Him. In our personal relationship with Him. We can know it by experience. And that's what Paul prays for. That's what brings stability to the believer's life. That's what helps us to be rooted and grounded in love. So that we can express love to others. 
If there is one thing the church of Jesus Christ needs today, it is the outward expression of love one for another. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Jesus said our oneness, our unity, our harmony in him would be the thing that would cause the world to believe that God sent him. And so often the world looks on at the church of Jesus Christ and sees everything but the love of Christ demonstrated. In many cases, the world sees criticism of each other, misunderstandings, misrepresentation, harping and carping and picking, pouting and sulking and hard feelings and ill will. What the world needs to see is the love of Jesus Christ flowing through us for each other. A caring community of believers who are ministering to one another's needs, who are bearing each other up before the throne of grace, who are bearing one another's burdens, who are loving one another. When the world sees that, the world will be attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ. How can it ever be possible? How can we ever demonstrate that depth of love one for another? It will come only as you and I together understand and comprehend and know by experience the love of Jesus Christ for us. And when we understand how much He loves us, then we'll be able to reach out in love toward one another rather than what goes on so often in the local or in the, in the visible church of Jesus Christ, these little local churches. God wants us to love one another. And rather than love, so often we hear people talking to each other in unkindness and even bitterness and resentment. Words that seem to be designed to cut or to belittle. Words that do anything but, but reach out in understanding with a desire to really uh, feel with one another and live in one another's shoes and comprehend one another's opinions and, and feelings and express unselfishness to one another. Love is basically, as we learned on many occasions before, love is that which seeks the greatest good for the one love. And if I genuinely love you, then I'm going to be more interested in your good than my good. And that's how God wants us to love one another. And it comes when we comprehend the love of Jesus Christ, when we are rooted and grounded in love. That's a good thing to pray for each other. Would you pray for me in that regard? That I may be able to understand the love of Jesus Christ to such a degree that I can reach out in love to people, even people who don't love me or at least don't show it. Maybe people who, who criticize me with unkindness and, and a destructive sort of a way. I need to love them. And that's not easy to do, but God wants me to do that. And I'll never do it until I really comprehend the love of Jesus Christ. That's something we need to be praying for each other. Not only that we will be strong in our inner person, but that we may comprehend the love of Jesus Christ. These are great requests, folks. You need to put them on your prayer list. When you pray for folks... Pray for these things, that they may be strong in Jesus Christ and know his love. There's one more. It's just a little half a verse. Verse 19b, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And actually, this is the culmination of the previous ones. When we grow strong in our inner person through the spirit, so that the Lord Jesus Christ can settle down and be at home and feel comfortable in our lives, so that we are communing with Him and enjoying His fellowship and beginning to understand His love, 
that love he has for us so that we in turn can reach out and love for others. When all that is happening, then we are going to be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, we're going to find our utmost joy and satisfaction and contentment, not in the things of this world, but in the Lord himself. You know, positionally, we have this over in Colossians in chapter two and verse nine. Paul says, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. You see that word complete? That's the very same word translated to be filled back in Ephesians 3.19. What Paul really says in Colossians 2.10 is that you are filled to the full in him. You are filled in Jesus Christ. You have everything you need. All the resources are available to you to find absolute fullness and contentment and satisfaction and abundance in life. It's all yours. But yet so many believers are living empty lives. They're running around trying to find something that satisfies. There's just something missing and they're reaching out and they run here and try to find it in some material thing or there and try to find it in some relationship with some person they think will fill their lives. But it turns out to be just another dead end street. Just another bit of emptiness. The Apostle Paul wants us to learn how to find our fullness of life in the Lord himself. And he prays for that. That we might find our satisfaction in him. The third thing you can pray for me if you would. Is that I will find my satisfaction wholly in the Lord. Not in any earthly thing whatsoever. Not in human success. Not in material things. But in the Lord himself. You've met people like this haven't you? What a joy they are to be with. Every circumstance Every adverse circumstance is just another opportunity for genuine joy. It isn't any artificial sentimentality. It's real with them. And you can tell it's real. Oh, I've seen it with slushy artificial sentimentality too. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that's real. People who find their satisfaction in God to such a degree that the joy of the Lord Jesus just spills over everywhere they go. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. What a rich and wonderful life. Even the worst drudgery becomes a source of rejoicing when we're filled with all the fullness of God. Something we need to pray for when we pray for each other. For spiritual strength, for spiritual stability, and for spiritual satisfaction. Three points to add to your prayer list. Some people are probably saying by now, oh, that sounds so wonderful. But it seems so far away. So difficult for me to ever reach. How could I ever attain? I don't think I could ever reach that degree in my spiritual experience. Well, maybe you can't in and of yourself, but that's why Paul appended verse 20, you see. Here's the power that allows this prayer to be answered in our experience. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. You say it can't be done? With God, nothing is impossible. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all we ask or think. What a fantastic verse. He can do above what we ask or think. He can do abundantly above all we ask or think. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's power. It's according to the power 
that's already at work in us. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that power is already at work in you. Now all we need to do is lay hold of it. It's that same power that back in chapter 1 raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's that same power in chapter 3 and verse 7 which put Paul in the ministry and gave him such an effective ministry among Gentiles. That power is able to accomplish these things in our lives if we're willing to admit our need for them, our, un- our inability to attain them in our own strength, if we're willing to, to acknowledge and confess the sins that keep us from it and then put our trust in the Lord to accomplish it in us, it will happen. We will experience these things, particularly if we pray for these things one for another. And of course, Paul doesn't pray for these things so that he can have the power of God to build a monument to his own greatness. It is to bring glory to God. And that's why he finishes this prayer with this benediction. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. He gets all the glory. No wonder Paul breaks forth in praise like that when he realizes the power that's at work in him to accomplish these great things. Folks, are we ready for them? Let's pray for them, one another. Then let's deal with the obstacles, the sins, the unbelief, the reliance upon self. And then let's claim them by faith that we might grow in Him and be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, we so desperately need this kind of life, and Paul must have known it. He sensed the need in his own life. He sensed the need in the Ephesians' lives. Father, we confess and sense the need in our own lives tonight. We pray that you will strengthen us with all might by your Spirit in our inner man, that Christ may settle down and be at home in our lives. We pray, Father, that we may be rooted and grounded in love and be able to comprehend the love of Jesus Christ for us so that we might be able to reach out to others in love. And then, Father, help us to find our full satisfaction in you and be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, accomplish it by that exceeding abundant power, that superabundant power that's already at work in us through your indwelling spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message by Dr. Richard L. Strauss. Copyright 2021, Spiritual Gold, Inc. All rights reserved. For more on this ministry and for additional resources, be sure to visit spiritualgold.org.